I am excited for our guest here. You know, we're talking about startups, um, all of the fun things from, you know, growing the practice, building the team, uh, you know, all of the things that are more of the, the, the sexier topics, if you will. But one of the things that uh, a lot of people need to know about and, and need to uh, really pay attention to if you're going on this journey is from the the numbers side of things, the financing, the uh, you know accounting, all of these things that at the end of the day are going to have a huge impact on you know your your business long term. And so my guest today, I'm super excited for he is uh, Caleb joining us from Ducket Lad Dental CPAs and Advisors. And uh, Caleb, first off, thanks a lot for for joining us here. And and I got to ask you know, tell us a little bit about kind of your day-to-day life and working with dental practices and, and startups and where you guys kind of come in. Yeah, awesome. Well, Shane, appreciate you having us on here today. Um, to give you guys some background on, on kind of what I do and then what the what the firm does here at Ducket Lad, uh, my primary day-to-day or my, my what's called job title would be uh, head mergers and acquisitions consultant. So my day-to-day really consists of assisting dentists who are uh, buying a practice, starting up a practice, um, exploring entrepreneurship in the dental industry on the uh, acquisition side of things. So whether it's an acquisition or a startup, and then also I help out uh, with dentists who are on the flip side, uh, looking for an exit. You know, looking to sell to a DSO, sell into another uh, dentist. You know, ready to to take that next step in their their chapter. So that's kind of my day today, uh, my primary focus. Uh, Ducket Lad, you know, we're, we're an all-encompassing dental CPA firm, so uh, obviously we have the M&A services that I kind of spearhead and head up, uh, but we also have your traditional bookkeeping tax services uh, along with some consulting services uh, where we kind of dive in uh, on practices and, and try to turn practices into high, high-performing practices. So kind of an all-encompassing firm uh, trying to uh, assist dentists and make their lives better. Yeah, and I think it's really important with whatever you know vendors you're choosing, make sure that they have significant you know experience in in dentistry. So with you know you all being you know focused around you know a lot of dental practices, obviously you know we've met through uh, you know multiple different dental groups and things like that. It, it definitely works in your favor to have whether it's your your accounting, your CPAs, your marketing firm, your HR. If they had that dental. Uh, experience. First off, I think that's so important. But one of the things you know, I want to really kind of dive into here, Caleb, is as CPAs and and on the accounting side of things, you know, you all are, are right there side by side with the clients uh, and dentists as they're you know, going on the startup journey, just as we are from the marketing side. But you know, when we talk about financing, it's something that uh, a lot of people have questions on. And I see it in the groups. I'm sure you do too. But do you have, from your perspective and what you've seen from your clients, kind of like a uh, a timeline that you typically see when dentists start to you know go through that financing period um, before they're you know going to take that next step and do demographic reports and all of these things? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, obviously, being accountants, uh, we can advise on. Uh, some of the, the personal financial things of how to, to help secure lending. Uh, the timeline varies uh, in, in every deal. You know, every single deal is different. I think that's, that's sort, of, sort of the art and beauty of um, what I get to do day in and day out is every deal is different, right? So I would say on a his, historical client, um, you know, anywhere from 18 to 24 months out, 
uh, it's usually one of the first things that um, dentists and, and advisors are, are telling their clients to do is, you know, a startup journey is a uh, marathon. It's not a sprint, right? It's, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some work. And we can't do anything without financing, right? So if a, if a client's coming to me and saying, hey, what do I need to do to secure uh, financing? And, and at what point do we need to start tackling these things? Typically, uh, 18 to 24 months out from that opening date is what I see a lot of uh, other advisors uh, advising their clients to do and, and you know what we would um, typically recommend in a startup uh, is, is start securing that financing as early as possible to make sure we're, we're ready to lock and load um, on the build out the equipment purchase the uh, locations that have all you know the bank's going to consider all of these uh, hot button topics as you will you know before the the market demographic analysis and uh, you know, potential cash flow analysis, all those sorts of things. So early, always, always a good idea to get a jump start on the financing side of things. From from your perspective, have you seen anything where people have been, um, you know, at a disadvantage if they have student loans? Maybe they've been, you know, only out of school two or three years, or maybe they've been out of school ten years, but they have, you know, student loans. Is have you seen just from from y'all's clients any impact there? Because I mean, dental schools expensive and most people are going to have student loans and I and I think there's sometimes some some worry out there that if I if I have all these student loans that you know they're not they're not going to lend me money and sometimes people feel like they're stuck in their associateship I'm just curious what you all have seen from from your side of it yeah absolutely so you know um, I think what what most lenders are looking for uh, when they're looking at a potential loan to give to a dentist um, luckily Dent, you know, the dental industry is a pretty safe bet in, in most uh, most cases. So uh, lenders are looking to work with you guys and, uh, you know, securing that the financing you need for a startup. In, in terms of dental student loan uh, balances, um, you know, I historically I haven't seen that type of debt to be a major issue in securing financing. Uh, the big things banks are looking for you know, let's talk to the younger dentists who maybe have a higher uh, amount of student loan debt uh, on their personal balance sheet. Um, really, if you have a year's worth of production, 18 months worth of production, where you can prove out that you have the clinical skills of what it takes to own a dental practice, most banks are going to be willing to work with you, right? When you start getting into the, uh, you know, you're, you're 26, you have half a million dollars in student loan debt maybe, uh, but then we tack on, you know, you bought a half a million dollar house, you bought two $60,000 cars, you got $30,000 of credit card debt on your personal balance sheet. Those are the things that are going to hinder uh, that lending ability. Um, the student, you know, student loan debt, banks understand that dental school is expensive. Uh, it, it takes an investment on your end to go get the education to become a dentist. So they're a little more forgiving on those, uh, those debt balances historically. Yeah, is there some sort of I don't know magic rule that you've heard as far as you know if if you're looking at you know, getting funding a a year from now or within twelve months you shouldn't make any big purchases like a new car or home have you heard anything as far as like timelines on on what that looks like? Yeah, so to my knowledge, and again, I'm not a banker. I'm not I'm not the one signing off on the loan. Um, you know, every bank has their own formula. Uh, and, and what they look at debt to income ratio and uh, 
you know, your, your current ratio of, of assets to, to debt that they have on their personal balance sheet. Um, to me, I, I, you know, I, I'm not aware of any magical formula, let's say, if, if you have these criteria met, uh, you're guaranteed to get the loan that you're looking for. Um, I think the advice that we try to give our clients is if you can hold off on making big ticket purchase items on those things I mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the half a million dollar home, uh, it may be 26, 27 years old. Uh, the you know the brand new Tesla for seventy thousand bucks or the thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt you know it's always better when looking to secure financing to have the least amount of debt on your on your personal balance sheet as possible. Um, so again, I don't think there's a, a magical formula uh, that it, you know automatically secures the financing you're looking for. Uh, our our advice is you know try to avoid those big ticket items until um, we're secured in, in the financing side of things. Yeah, and you know, one thing is, as we're kind of like talking about you know s- starting up and, and you know some of the things that you all have seen from the accounting side, uh, I'm curious. We hear this a lot where someone's like, you know, when I start, do I need to be like an LLC, an S corp? You know, that's a question that gets brought up, and I feel like maybe there's not a one size fits all answer. You know, what say you on on that type of question when? You're advising clients there. Yes. Yeah, so this is a very interesting, and it's a it's a highly uh, talked about topic in the in the dental community, right? You see in every Facebook group, uh, my accountant made me an S corp. You need to be an S corp for X, Y, and Z reason. And and you know, for the most part, you know, there are a lot of advantages of having an S corp uh, in the startup community we run into an interesting uh, dilemma at times with, with basis, right? And so I'm gonna get a little nerdy and accountant here, Shane, if that's all right. But uh, essentially <laughs> when, you're, when you're looking at doing a startup, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, costs incurred with that, right? A lot of startup expenses. We most likely have a building build out, uh, a lot of dental equipment purchased, and in year one, uh, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news if you guys haven't heard this from your advisors. You're probably not going to make that much money year one. You're building up your patient base. Um, you're, you're, you're spending money on marketing. Uh, you're spending time and energy trying to uh, build up that, that, new, that new patient base that you're, uh, you're looking to, to build out over your, your career in your new practice. All good investments, right? It's not bad to spend money on marketing. It's not bad to spend money on a build out. It's not bad to spend money on equipment, but what that does is it creates typically, historically, a big loss in year one. So you're going to show a pretty big loss on your on your tax return. And in an S-Corp situation, what that does is it creates negative basis in your S-Corp in year one. And we we want to avoid that at, at all costs. When you, when you start looking at big negative basis issues in your S-Corp, it can cause problems down the road. So our typical advice, and again, this is a client-by-client basis. There's not one-size-fits-all solution. There's some clients where, you know, we can do some, some things to, to avoid it if we really want to set up an S-Corp year one. Uh, other times, we'll, we'll start with a Schedule C, leave it as an LLC, and look to uh, elect S-Corp status down the road. It all just depends. Um, so just, again, make sure that you have a trusted advisor guiding you through that process because it's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Caleb, have you seen that process? Uh, does it play out differently with acquisitions versus startups? Because sometimes with acquisitions, what we have found is 
some of them you know, are obviously well-established and, and have great revenue. Other acquisitions are almost like startups in many ways where they're, you know, they're kind of growing something brand new that maybe was a low production practice, whatever the case is. Just curious, so from the acquisition side, do is that you know typically different? Is it you know nine times out of ten an S corp or what? What are you seeing there? Yeah, so again, I think it comes down to the type of practice you're you're acquiring, and you just alluded to it, Shane. Where there are some practice acquisitions that it is a startup. You know, you might be buying a practice that's doing four hundred thousand dollars in in net collections, and it has a eighty percent take home pay. Which is relatively similar to a you know a, a young startup. Uh, in those situations where we're not making a whole lot of money and we might have some big losses from from the asset purchase sale or asset purchase agreement, excuse me, on the the acquisition side, uh, it may not make sense to to have an S corp year year one. Um, in a more established practice, so let's say we're coming in and buying a, a practice that's you know generating eight hundred and fifty. Uh, thousand or more in, in collections and the, the take-home pay is pretty solid in your patient base you know you don't see a whole lot of attrition uh, after the acquisition it you know typically makes sense to, to have that escort uh, set up year one and, and start utilizing some of the tax strategies uh, that are, are beneficial to you now as a new practice owner yeah and what about with you know when should somebody start uh, you know this this process with an accountant and a CPA, um, you know, when really like, let's say if we're doing um, a startup practice and that's kind of where we've settled, you know, is, is the route for us to go. Uh, when is kind of the ideal timeline to begin working with a company like, like yours? Yeah, for sure. So um, in a, let's call it a traditional startup uh, uh, journey, the, we are hopeful that the, our client is working with advisors already, right? They, they have their attorney, uh, they have their startup consultant, they have their, their marketing group, uh, they have their lending secured. You know, we want to make sure that you are surrounding yourself with the right, what's, what's called board of directors. You know, you're, you're starting a company here, you want to surround yourself with the right advisors, the right board that's assisting you here. Uh, so really when we come into play is right about the time um, – that you, your attorney is probably drafting up your, uh, your, your new entity that's going to, to, to house the, the clinical assets of the dental practice itself. Um, oftentimes, we'll come in and give advice on some of those tax uh, strategies of do we elect S-Corp on this, on this entity? Um, what does the entity structuring look like for you, as a, you know, from a tax perspective? And then... Um, really starting to shift gears and building out your accounting system for the practice so it's ready to go day one. Typically, um, as you know, Shane, being, being involved, heavily involved in startups, uh, we know that the process uh, doesn't always fit the uh, parameters or, or estimated timeline budget at the beginning of the, the project, right? So um, typically we see that probably six months out from, from opening, eight, between six and eight months out from opening, uh, I, I believe probably 90% of our projects last year that were startups, uh, we met at the quote-unquote eight-month out date. So from the time we meet to the time startups supposed to happen, eight months. I don't think, I think nine out of ten probably got pushed back, right? Still dealing with COVID supply chain issues and uh, just different different natures of the beast and, and dealing with startups. 
Um, so really trying to secure your account or your CPA six to eight months out from your, your ideal opening date is probably the best methodology uh, to, to go about surrounding yourself with that right advisor. And when someone does have that right advisor, um, I've seen it happen. I'm sure you've seen it happen too, where somebody goes into a situation where maybe they are, you know, gung ho on a startup, and then they, after some, you know, advice and different assessment from professionals, they find actually maybe an acquisition's right for me, or vice versa. You know, they go go in thinking they're going to do an acquisition, and come to find out it's like maybe the startup route's best for them. So I would love to hear from you on, you know, how do you all, when you're working with a client, determine whether or not like a startup or an acquisition is right for that office or that practice owner? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, the the first step, and let's kind of take a step back here. So, you know, we like to, uh, you know, we like to talk about this as a journey, right? Your your dental career is just like your life. It's a journey that you're going to go through. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. There's going to be forks in the road. You have to make a decision. And so I think the first question you need to ask yourself as a potential practice owner is, is practice ownership right for me? Why do I want to be a practice owner? What are the benefits I'm seeking? What are the risks I'm willing to take? You know, what does my, what do I want my life to look like as a practice owner? And as you're asking yourself these questions and kind of building out your dream, uh, let's call it practice ownership life, right? So let's start with the end in mind here. And 30 years down the road, you're looking back. What do you want your life to look like when you're ready to take take that step out of dentistry? I think starting with with the end in mind and and establishing the goals and the, the benchmarks you want to hit over your dental career to get you to where you want to be definitely helps establish which route to take. Now, you know, we've done exercises with clients where we go through this dream setting uh, 30 years down the road. This is what I want my life to look like. This is, you know, kind of the exit plan I want. I I would like to have the opportunity to take in 25 or 30 years or 10 years, whatever the case may be. And we'll we'll find, okay, well, maybe finding an established practice uh, that there's less upfront work that you can kind of come in, copy and paste what's going on, work for however long and then make an exit, it's the right path for you. Well, during the actual process of acquiring a practice, things happen, right? We can analyze three or four different practices and there might just not be something right about each one that gives the buyer or our client enough hesitancy to say, you know, Caleb, I really think I want to start my own because there's just, there's too much, uh, change that I would need to make in an established practice that might do more harm than good. Um, so at that point, you know, we, we, we start down a path of, all right, well, what does a startup look like? And, 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 you know, on the flip side as well, there's folks that we've worked with, um, who have, you know, they're 12 months into a startup process, banking is your lending secure, uh, documents are drafted, a build out started and they change their mind. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it comes down to, what do you want out of this decision? Because again, you know, acquiring a practice or starting up a practice is going to be the biggest decision you make in your dental career. Practice ownership, going from an associate to a practice owner is the biggest leap you're going to make in your dental career, right? And so making this decision it's a is a lifestyle. Not, it is not an easy decision at all. So um, you know, I think starting starting with the end in mind, establishing if practice ownership is right for you, 
going through the exercise and going through the time of establishing what you want for yourself is going to help make that decision. Yeah, uh, definitely. And one thing that you know I'm kind of curious about, and this is kind of going more into the accounting side, and, and once you're actually open and, and you've you know acquired a practice, opened a practice, whatever the case is, um, and I'm just thinking of this right now because we're going through this and, and my marketing company at this moment is figuring out um, what numbers we need to be looking at in our reports that you know our CPA provides us and how to really determine you know the, the scalability of the business. And I'm, I assume the same thing you have to do with the practice. But for example, one thing we're looking at is, you know, hey, if, if we're providing you know this particular service, how much does it cost us exactly to from the the man hours or woman hours to the, the the softwares that we use everything that goes into it you know what is our cost of to provide that service and what are we charging and can we scale that i'm curious from from your side of things i feel like too many times just to small business owners in general we look at the reports we're like okay here was our expenses you know here was our leftover profit but many times maybe we don't see some of those hidden uh, things in in our you know P&Ls um, that that could be hindering the practice. Curious to see what are a couple of mistakes or or pitfalls that dentists should avoid when looking at their you know reporting and making sure I guess that they're getting the the right numbers reported to them too. Yeah, so great great question, Shane. And I think you know there's two big mistakes we often see in the 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 dental industry. Right, first one is I want to hire an associate. Right. And we look at a practice and we say, you're not ready to hire an associate. And they say, well, I'm too busy. I can't handle this on my own. Well, when we look at it from a number standpoint, looking and diagnosing your, your P&L is a great start. Right. Let's see where your overhead's at. If your overhead's high. All right. Let's take a deeper dive and, and uh, establish what's wrong in your overhead model. And if we can correct that, it might make sense to bring an associate on. Oftentimes, you know, when, when dentists feel like they're too busy um, and they need to hire that associate, it, it, it often stems from burnout, in, in my opinion. And what I see, you know, they're, they're just ready to take their foot off the gas a little bit and hand the reins over to help, you know, help create that, the wealth and the, the, the financial security they're looking for, but not having to carry that heavy burden as an owner anymore. The, the problem we run into oftentimes, though, is the production may not be there to, to necessitate bringing in an associate. Um, and that's very frustrating for a practice owner to hear, right? Your, your practice isn't financially healthy enough to bring an associate in. And if it is, or if it isn't, but it's something you really want to explore, it's going to hit your pocket, right? Because at the end of the day, you need to make sure all expenses are paid uh, including that new associate that's coming on. So that's going to come out of your pocket. So, um, you know, really taking the time to understand not only the expenses, right? Because I think that's where most people's head go is what expenses can I cut out? You know, it, it's the old, you know, the old saying that you can only cut expenses as, as low as they'll let you go. At the end of the day, you got to pay your employees, you got to pay your rent, you got to pay your taxes, um, all those fun things that uh, practice owners deal with the burden of. But, the, the easiest way to, to answer that question is produce more. You produce more, your team produces more, and there's ways uh, through financial incentives, through uh, opportunities to, to level up your team members, whatever the case may be, 
to, to optimize those opportunities. And then the second biggest, uh, I would say, you know, obstacle we run into is an owner says, I don't feel like I'm making enough. How do I make more? Again, diagnosing your P&L is great. Looking at the expenses is great. Um, but I think really diving into the, the, the bare bones issues and, and operations and efficiencies of the practice of what is causing the P&L, right? Because your P&L is really, it, it tells a story of how your practice did month over month, right? It, it, it shows the roadmap to where to start looking for errors, right? We can look at expenses and see, hey, there's maybe some things we can cut here, but the, the P&L is kind of the story of what happened inside your practice. Really, once you look at the P&L, it's time to take a deeper dive into your practice itself and what are you doing to cause those P&L results, right? Are you producing enough? Is your team producing enough? Is your is, Are your books not scheduled out far enough in advance? Do you have openings? Is your case acceptance at the chair not high enough? It's those sorts of issues that stem from looking at those P&L results month over month that'll really see, that'll show you the, you know, once you start diagnosing those problems, you'll reap the benefits down the road. And it, it goes into, it's like, hey, if you've been open for a few years and, you know, is it time if you're a, in network office, you know, is it time to renegotiate fees? You know, is it time to drop some insurances? Because that, that all feeds into your overall profitability as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it goes back to, to that, you know, analogy of the P&L is a result of what you've done over the last month. So what are you doing that's causing those P&L results. Is it time to renegotiate insurance? Is it time to drop an insurance? Whatever the case may be, um, you know, it, the, the P&L is kind of the foundation to take a deeper dive into your practice and see what areas we can improve upon to help get you those financial results you're looking for month over month. I'm just curious, just because we're on, uh, I could talk about this for an hour at least, like this is the kind of stuff that fascinates me, but since we're on kind of the the part now of, you know, you're you've opened the practice, you've acquired, whatever the case is, you're now looking at your numbers. Um, I'm, re I'm reading a book right now. I'm actually rereading it and actually implementing it this time. Um, you know, sometimes we read a book and we're like, that's a great idea, but I'll get around to it <laughs> later. But I'm just curious if you all have ever heard of this and what your, your thoughts are on it, but it's Profit First. I don't know if you've uh, you've heard of this, but it's a really interesting concept. And from you know accountant uh, companies' point of view, it's it's really interesting how they talk about you know how it's you know we've found profitability for the years is find out you know, what's our top line revenue, what's our expenses, and what's left over as profit. And you know, in a nutshell, what Profit First says is you know let's take out what we want our profit to be first, pull that out, and then let the um, the, I can't remember what the name of it is, but basically it's like, you know, something will fill its space, you know, the remaining space, and we'll find out where we need to cut. Obviously, you could take that way too extreme and be like, well, I want 90% profitability, and you're like, okay, not realistic here. So uh, I'm just curious, have, have you heard of that, and um, do you have any thoughts on that, like, profit-first mentality if you have, you know, heard of that? Yeah, no, it's actually a book that is on my reading list this year. I know uh, folks in our, our firm have read it. Um, it. I know there's some interesting concepts in there, especially from an accountant's point of view of, you know, it goes so contrary to, you know, how the, our culture and how um, oftentimes advisors look at the financial health of, of, of a practice, of a small business, wherever the case may be. 
But I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Shane, with starting with the end in mind. You know, what do I want my profitability to be? What do I want my take home to be, right? Because those are all questions that you need to ask yourself as a dentist looking at practice ownership is, you know, what is my take home pay that I need to hit uh, in, in order to, uh, you know, take the risk of practice ownership? You know, what, what is it going to take for me to uh, go down this startup journey or go down this practice acquisition journey, whatever the case may be? So, you know, it's definitely something that I try to apply with my clients on the personal side, right? What is my take-home pay? So what's my overall profitability uh, that I'm willing to accept uh, in, in, in taking on practice ownership? On our current practice owners, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great, great exercise um, establishing what you want your profitability to be, what you want to see your take-home pay be. Um, I think there are, are definitely strategies you can utilize to kind of, you know, reverse engineer the course of, you know, we need to look at top line revenue, look at our expenses, see what's left over, what do we need to cut from the top, but reverse engineering it from the bottom up, uh, you know, I think it, it, it's a great exercise to help diagnose some issues in your practice. So, you know, I think taking different perspectives and being open to hearing different ideas is always a, a valuable lesson you can take as a, as an entrepreneur. And I'm sure as you know, you know, owning a marketing company, um, it, it's definitely, definitely solid to have those, those outside perspectives or different ways of thinking of how can we grow our business and how can we scale? Yeah. I, I really like Caleb, what you said earlier when you were like, you know, your, your, your P and L is essentially a story of how your practice performed. I, I think that's you know right on the money, and I think these are items that we need to be paying attention to. Not just getting you know getting those reports and okay, we looked at it. Here's our you know, profitability. Moving on, it's like really looking at and tracking those those line items because there are some things that you know I've made this mistake as a business owner myself. We we've had services or or. Uh, softwares that we haven't used in a year and we've been paying for it every single month. Right. And you're like, Oh my gosh, like just little things like that, that, that add up. Um, this has been such an awesome interview. One of the things I, I kind of want to close on here is talking about, you know, maybe, you know, top three things that you um, would advise dentists to, to, um, you know, not fall into or make the mistake of doing if they're doing a startup soon or an acquisition, either on what are two or three things that you know they should be prepared for um, to make sure that they're set up for you know the highest probability of success? Yeah, for sure. So I know our conversation kind of started around that lending side of things, so I'll kind of hit on one topic there. Again, I, I alluded to it earlier, but avoid if you can avoid the big ticket purchase items uh, when going through that 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 uh, journey of lending, right? The less you have on your personal balance sheet, the better off you are, the more attractive you are to the bank. Two other things that I would like to mention. First off is take the time to surround yourself with the right advisors. You know, don't go through this journey alone. This isn't something you have to do on your own. Uh, we don't expect our clients to know everything, right? Dennis went to dental school. They didn't go get their MBA. They didn't go get their CPA. They don't learn how to build a marketing plan. Make sure you take the time to surround yourself with the right people and understand what they're advising you to do, right? And then third thing, I just had it and I just lost it. Um, let's see if it comes back to me here. Well, well, well while, while you're thinking of that, you know, I think that's that's so important because we get – 
startups and, and acquisitions from all ends of the spectrum where we get some that come to us and being very proactive, you know, a year in advance, which is awesome because then we can start to kind of build that plan for them, which then they can share with, you know, the, their financing um, with their accountants and, and everything too. But then you also see those ones that, that try to, I feel like do as much of it themselves as possible. And while I appreciate uh, the, you know, the bravery there of doing that, you know, I can't emphasize enough just from seeing it with my own eyes, how having the right people surrounded by you and investing in that can make a huge difference from day one, because you're setting the tone for your success from, from day one, when you open that practice. And if you try to cut corners do everything yourself. Um, you've never, you know, gone through this process before. More than likely, partner up with with firms like yours and you know people who have done this because they they know the ropes, so to speak. So I just think that's a really important you know piece there that you kind of talked about because we we all I'm stubborn. I try to do things myself all the time too. But at some point, you have to sit back and be like, you know, who could really get me from point A to p- point B and kind of help me take you know the best route and maybe not necessarily the cheapest route. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually led into the third point. Thank you for bringing that up, Shane. Uh, don't don't allow your emotion to uh, cloud your judgment, right? So when when a lot, I see this a lot, whether it's a young doc or an older doc who's looking at practice ownership, emotion gets in the way. And it's having emotion is not a bad thing, right? You're probably thinking, oh yeah, Caleb, you're an accountant. You have no emotion. Uh, what I What I mean here is, that first opportunity that presents itself, whether it's a startup or an acquisition, most docs are like, I'm, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to buy this thing. It's let's take a step back. Let's try to control what's going on in our head and our heart. I know it's an exciting time. I, I'm glad it's an, it is an exciting time because that shows me that, you know, this is something you are actually genuinely interested in pursuing, right? If you had no emotion towards this, that's going to give me some heartburn as your advisor, right? But on the flip side, you know, we want to make sure that we're taking the time, doing our due diligence to make sure it's the right decision for you, it's the right practice, it's the right city, it's the right location, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, just try to take a step back, look at the 30,000 foot view and start digging down 25,000 feet, 15,000 feet, 10,000 feet, getting more granular to help you uh, land in that landing zone of, of making the right decision for you. Yep. Just like, you know, building a treatment plan for your patients, you know, what's right for one patient maybe isn't the right option for the other patient. It's the exact same way as Caleb said, when you're, when you're, you know, going on this journey to potential practice ownership, uh, Caleb, we're running out of time here. This has been a great interview. Um, I would love for you to just share a little bit of, you know, if someone's out there, they're listening to this and they're you know, potentially thinking of going on this journey, or maybe they already have a practice, you know, that's open, but they're looking for um, some some advisors there. You know, what's the best way that, um, you know, our listeners can can get in touch with uh, Duckett Lab? Yeah, for sure. So the, the best way to get a, you know, get in contact with us is go to our website, www.ducketlab.com. Uh, at the top right, there will be a let's work together form. If you fill that out, kind of briefly describe the situation or stage of your general, your dental career that you are in. Uh, we will have a team member reach out depending on what you, you list on your, your form. We'll, uh, we'll set up a free discovery meeting, uh, get a better understanding of you and your current situation where you need some help and see if we can plug in and add value to you there. 
And they've also got a really cool um, free guide on their website uh, where you can download the top five mistakes to avoid when acquiring a dental practice. So I would highly advise going to their site and and downloading that because – Hey, uh, mistakes are avoided if we you know, do our due diligence and research and, like we said, surround ourselves with those people who've kind of been there, done that. So, Caleb, thanks again for joining us here on uh, the Dental Practice Launch Podcast. Really appreciate it and uh, looking forward to um, you know, probably hopping back on here again and, and, and diving more through our P&L discussion that we, we did earlier because I think that would be a really cool uh, episode to dive into. But thanks again, Caleb. We appreciate you uh, hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Shane. Look forward to coming back on soon.